When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so the second game week of the season has literally just finished and knees are jerking all over the place, it's safe to say. From the 4.0 loving uh, via the likes of Libramento and Shane Duffy, woo, Irish people are relevant, Anthony, and the growing movement to bye-bye-bye Lukaku following his debut goal for Chelsea. This evening blew it all out of the water, didn't it? With Ben Rama bandwagon gathering pace and uh, Antonio as well, for those who are not on that too. The smell in the air, basically, was that of the FPL season finding its groove. We are who got the assist. I'm Tom at WGTA underscore FPL. My co-host is Anthony at FPL Stag. Our Instagram also is WGTA.FPL. Make sure to give us a follow on those channels if you don't already. Subscribe to our podcast and whatever source you use to get your podcast. And if you've enjoyed this, I promise I'll disagree with the penultimate time I say this this year. But if you've enjoyed this or indeed have enjoyed anything we've done over the last five years, um, please give us a five-star review wherever you listen, as these are hugely appreciated in terms of spreading the word of the podcast. And finally, the lead code is 2IP43T. We're also on video. You'll never replace the audio, but just so you know, it's there in case you want to. I even do slideshows and all uh, right now. It's, it's not as fancy as other people's, but hey, you know, something I can knock up after work and it does the job, doesn't it? Anyway, uh, joined by Anthony um, in different environment uh, today, a different background, different backdrop. Uh, very, very intriguing. Uh, you're right. Yeah, out and about, not quite recording from home today. So apologies to people if there's a slightly different microphone noise today. I don't have my usual microphone set up. I'm missing an adapter. I forgot an adapter for it. So unfortunately, I'm just using a regular uh, pair of earphones with a microphone in- inside them. But yes, anyway, Tom, it was a good weekend of FPL. Enjoyed it. Cork didn't do so well in the All-Ireland Hurling final. The first one since 2013. Still none since 2005, Tom. It's been a long drought. But anyway... The template, it's done nicely again, Tom, thankfully, which is good for pretty much all of us who are involved in this podcast and who listen to this podcast. Generally, we had some pretty decent football as well, which has led to plenty of talking points as well. And the fixtures shifts are very much on the horizon at this point with big names and big sides showing signs of catching fire or indeed actually catching fire. So that has really begged the question of whether we need to be aggressive this season in FPL to act against those. So last season... There was a relatively low four players achieved the 200 club. Bruno, Kane, Salah and Son. But it seems like this year we're going to have a much, much bigger list of potential 200 club members. And that's why we're talking about this potential aggressive strategy to shimmy about our premiums to rack up the points as best as we can. I think last week I noted how I reckon that managers who successfully timed a move to Chelsea and Man City assets 
head of the template would likely be the ones who would get into the top 10K early and who would then be in that position where it's much easier to hold on to your position in the top 10K than to find a way into it as the season develops. And so I think that's why it's worth considering this aggressive strategy to make it into those high ranks early rather than kind of struggling for the rest of the season. Now, of course, you can't get all the premiums into your team. So inevitably, you're sometimes going to have to look to the supporting cast Rikers to, you know, quote unquote, cover a team's bigger name. So we'd have to consider these players too as we look to aggressively tackle the first half of this season. We'd have all the regular segments of the show after the break as well, but we're starting with the game of reviews as per usual. Cool, yeah. I mean, it's fairly early um, and obviously, you know, literally it's just finished, hence authenticity about this one. But um, unfortunately, we've had to screen grabs for those watching uh, from live uh, rank in order to do this. But I mean, it has kind of just about come out okay. Uh, I, I'm, I think you just about beat me just because of that last minute Shufal assist. Um, but I got 76 this week um, and I was bailed out, frankly, uh, by the Antonio and Ben Rama show tonight. 24 points from those two players really, really you helped me out my defense did pretty well um so i had uh, mr sanchez and goal with the clean sheet uh trent and shimikaz uh with the double digit halls each um shimikaz oh bye bye baby wow what an, what an amazing uh, asset 4.017 and hopefully it looks like he might rise as well so it's not for one million profit and luke shaw um show housing uh, uh two bonus points as well off the back of basically corners and the big chance created um, in midfield salah fernandez basically that whole sort of argument was moot, wasn't it? Between which one was the best captain this week? And Rama, obviously, tonight. And uh, Harvey Barnes, another letdown, which is really, really annoying. I think I'm going to leave him for Norwich. Maybe I'll be swayed after his big Tuesday, Anthony. And up front, another disappointment in Ivan Tony. Got a question on him later on. We'll get on to him. Antonio and Danny Ings, who, again, kept up his ridiculously clinical uh, outlook on life uh, since being uh, in, uh, in in Birmingham uh, with that incredible overhead kick for an eight-pointer. So, yeah, I mean, all in all, um, as it is this kind of time of the season, 76 points uh, t- saw me rise almost 60% in rank from 633k to 250k. Um, but the season is young. The season is very young. But I think that last-minute shoe file assist, Anthony, took you just beyond me, didn't it? Yeah, a little bit further beyond you, if anything. I'm up to 84 points for this week, which is pretty solid going overall. It was unfortunate, really, with the Sufal thing, because, of course, I have Sufal in my side because I don't have Ben Rama. And not having Ben Rama is proving to be a bit more frustrating than I thought it was going to be. Anyway, I got six points from Sanchez in gold. I had the Alexander-Arnold Shimikas duo in the back line. I also had Sufal coming in off the bench, actually, for Veltman, who I would have been starting. But, of course, he is, after missing this game week and is now going to miss game in week three as well so he's a bit of a problem unfortunately in midfield I had both Salah and Fernandez also captain Salah six points there is fine it actually felt like a victory in the end getting those uh, three points doubled rather than one point doubled Greenwood for 10 points and Rafinha who came into my side for Pepe with seven points now obviously that felt an awful lot better right up until again the aforementioned Ben Rama hall tonight but at the same time, I'm happy with him in my side. Like you, Tom, then Antonio Nings up front with Tony causing a bit of frustration. But overall, I think I really can't complain. Um, I'm, I have a five-figure rank at the moment, just about, it seems. I'm not sure if that's going to continue to be that the case when all of the bonuses and everything kind of comes through. But right now, if you had offered me a top 100k rank after two game weeks, I would have bitten your hand off uh, yep, three weeks sure. ago. So with that in mind, I really can't complain. 
decent enough start. I don't think we're too far apart, are we? If that Rafinha move has worked for you. Uh, just look at our objectives again. We're not going to parrot through these every single time. Um, but I did meet a couple of my objectives this week. Just worth mentioning, I am holding myself accountable, as it were. Um, so captaincy-wise, do what Mikel's algorithm tells me to do. I did, Captain Salah. Transfers, 50 situations take a hit. I didn't need to take a hit this week. But... My third objection was take a chance on form and buy bandwagoning players wherever possible in the hope they turn to season-long picks. And I was like bifurcating between uh, Greenwoods and Benrahma for a little while. And I think after a while, um, this is before the Gundogan news he was fit, by the way. So I was temporarily in the mud, as it were, on social media for a little bit. Everyone was laughing at me, being like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And I did actually end up donating to charity as well, just kind of as, as a kind of a hedge bet, just to make sure that I wasn't too upset by what Gundogan did, but a you know, yellow card in the blank. Excellent. Still give it to charity because that's the kind of guy I am. Um, but I, yeah, it's a great outcome to have those 12 points from Ben Rama, really. Um, so, yeah, a big tick against you know, following my objectives with this game week. Anthony, I've crossed out one of your playstyle ones because obviously it's uh, you don't need to think about your game week one setup anymore. But I mean, was there anything here that you uh, crossed this week with your captaincies and your, um, in your other decisions? I think they were all very achievable this week. So kind of no more than yourself. I captained with the algorithms or with the herd with my captaincy. So yep, that, that worked out fine. My transfers, it was don't be afraid to transfer out elite players if they've dropped off. I don't think that I would even count one game week as dropping off for either of those players. So I don't feel like I'm going to be compelled into doing something on that. As for the timings, I certainly didn't make my transfers late, late, late. As it turned out, we recorded on Monday night last week. Nicola Pepe was in line for a price drop and I made the transfer that evening before the prices went through. So I was five days earlier than I thought I was going to be with that particular transfer. So that was fine. It was obviously bringing in Rafinha. And then when we were talking about my other one, it's to do with play style, max 10 hits in total across the season. I'm still on zero and a max one hit in the first five game weeks. I haven't taken one yet. I'm would be in line to take one. I've already made a transfer as we're going to find out later, but I don't see myself making that one hit. If anything, I'm more likely to wildcard than I am to take a hit, I think at this point. Right, let's move on to the next part of the pod then. And is the market forces, of course, it's our kind of weekly look at the moves and shakes in transfer market. Now, Anthony, what have you been noticing thus far uh, with managers buying and selling behaviours? Buying behaviours are pretty much people going after the points that came in the last few days. So the most Shock. bought player, yeah, imagine. The most bought player is Romelu Lukaku, nearly a quarter of a million transfers in as it stands. And we are only at Monday night. So that's pretty serious market movement for him. He is still 11.5 right now. It wouldn't be surprising if he finds his way to 11.6 before the week is out. The second most bought player is actually Shimikas, who is en route. He's still 4.1 as we record. He is expected to be 4.2 when you wake tomorrow. So probably when this pod goes out, he will be a 4.2 defender at that point. That's great for those of us who bought him originally, because that means that we now have profit made when we sell him at 4.1. Or he's 4.2, but we'll get 4.1 for it. Shane Duffy is chasing him. He's the third most bought player. He's already up to 4.1 as well and probably en route to 4.2. 87,000 transfers in as it stands. Great to see Shane Duffy um, getting a chance in the Premier League again for Brighton and making an impact with that chance. It's it's kind of a heartwarming story if you look into how his year has gone and I'm really happy for him on that level, on a personal level, not just because he's Irish. Yeah, uh, then, yeah. then when you look at the uh, other transfers in, Danny Ings and then the, the likes of kind of Ben Rama, Jota, Calvert-Lewin, uh, Rhys James are all kind of well transferred in, in the six figures, let's say, for transfers in but uh, not the market leaders 
Yeah, at the time of recording, um, Antonio, 80,000 new owners and Benrahma, 75,000 new owners, that is bound to increase because people probably look at them and say, oh, hang on a minute, they've scored loads of points. Oh, hang on a minute, they've got Crystal Palace at home next and then Southampton away. Um, on the other side of it, though, I mean, I've liked, you know, Ben White and Ivan Tony, particularly bearing the brunt of angry owners' uh, disdain. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's patchy when it comes to Tony and with White. But then after that, I would say the sales out are quite patchy. So both White and Tony have been transferred out by about one hundred and fifty thousand managers right now, which is very substantial when you consider kind of that the third most transferred out player is actually John Stones with just over a hundred thousand transfers out. So those two players are kind of well off in the lead. And look, it does make sense. I think Tony was in so many squads that you're going to find that you know there's going to be a lot of people selling him after two blanks, no matter what, whether you think that that's a little bit premature or not. So yeah, 150,000 transfers out for him. I wouldn't be surprised if he finds his way to a price drop by the end of this week. Ben White is um, still 4.5 right now. He is now uh, orange flagged, which means that he'll be a little bit slower to drop. He's supposed to drop according to a lot of forecasts on Sunday night. It didn't happen. It'll be interesting to see if it does happen now um, over the next seven days or so. After that though, Tom, I wouldn't necessarily say there's anything too interesting in there like the likes of Jaden Sancho is the most sold midfielder followed by Salah and Havertz but these are kind of you know players that arrived into sides wouldn't necessarily say that they were going anywhere near the template yeah and hiding a game week one uh, sort of mistake perhaps right let's move on to the main topic this week which is simply should we adopt a more aggressive strategy this season I think growing out of those market forces um, Lukaku rising in price underlines just how this question of playing aggressively has been thrown to sharp focus I guess it's borne out of an observation we made a few times and Anthony mentioned it earlier in his kind of preamble that this season has a potential character about it that we both sort of pinpoints identified in some ways it's a classic wgta question in terms of us looking at grand strategy rather than saying pick this guy for next week other pods are available covering this we'll do more tactical stuff in the questions as well um, but here we're going to be providing a more zoomed out bigger picture way of looking at fantasy football as the season kind of goes um, but overall as anthony mentioned there are more 200 club nominees than ever before what is the 200 club you may be asking shouting into your earphones don't do that on public transport people think you're weird but if you're new to the pod or you need a reminder the 200 club is an exalted group of players who reach this elite kind of threshold of 200 points per season over the last Five seasons, we've seen an average of six 200-point players in 200 club. That's 5.8 if we're being nickety. But we've seen wild swings over the past few campaigns. So that 5.8 is kind of trying to make the most of like a bell curve, effectively. Like last season, just four players, Anthony mentioned. Bruno Kane, Salah and Son made a 200 club, compared with eight players in consecutive years, 2019-20 and 2018-19. And in 2017-18, it swung back to just three players, Salah, Sterling and KDB. And in 2016-17, it was six players. So that's back in the midst of time, really, with the likes of Alexis Sanchez and a guy called Deli Ali um, were the top two scoring players in FPL. Deli out scoring Kane that year. But I guess, Anthony, as you mentioned, last season was a bit different to the ones before. And that definitely created a different sort of sense of how we played it and how constricted many people were in terms of they were chasing and trying to best their rank, didn't it? Yeah, Tom, this does look like a very different season, as you say, with the just the kind of the sheer span of premiums that we need to take into account uh, coming into this year. And so whilst, as you say, usually what we would have said was that you would have to be quite careful with transferring out your elite players. I don't think that that accepted norm of patience is necessarily going to be something that we should be taking for granted this year. That's definitely being challenged by the conditions that we have. Now, like there is a certain caveat here, like when it comes to players who 
necessarily we might say are 200 club nominees right now. I think Jaden Sancho or Kai Havertz are classic examples that you mightn't think will make it there. But at the same time, I think we have to, when we're planning our transfers and looking ahead like eight game weeks right now, we need to consider them at minimum. Like it would be silly to not wonder whether they might actually merit our consideration going forward. Yeah, I mean, definitely. So, I mean, there are loads of 200 club candidates this year and there's a far more kind of packed premium area the likes of Salah, Mane, Lukaku, Bruno, Son, Kane and KDB all come to mind as sitting in that premium area as well as the likes of Vardy, Sancho as you mentioned, Sterling even the likes of Grealish and former 200 club member as I mentioned earlier on Deli Alley um, could all fit inside that 200 club they could all be candidates to make it plus Trent too we'll speak about later with all these guys in, in with a shout we saw FPL socials pee their pants effectively uh, when Lukaku did a goal. Um, and as we see through the market forces data and a lot of wild cards flying around, like we'll see some impact straight away from another premium coming on the line. People thinking, oh, we can disrupt this sort of Salah, Bruno kind of orthodoxy we've seen. As Anthony mentioned as well, like there's a huge accepted norm, I think, that being patient with your premiums is a thing. And that could be challenged a lot this year. Just thinking about the list of players again. Amazing managers like FPL General, Matthew Jones, Joe from F Fans Football Scout and Lucy Heinert. There's a very kind of patient, persistent play with your team, trusting in your assets to deliver, which works. It does year on year. Last year particularly. But having all these players who could enter the 200 club, in prior years we've had it as well, when we had the kind of eight players in that 200 club, maybe we were all scarred by last season a little bit perhaps, where any walk outside the template was slapped hard. Like I remember selling Kane and Son in game week seven or so on my wild card, my rank plummeted, as I'd hope KDB would kick up, pick up the slack. Ouch. Um, but like I think maybe there is kind of a possibility at least to be able to move outside of the template and think to yourself, you know what, I can set up differently. You know, maybe this year, it may not be the case that we saw last year where the, you've got to have those four players. You basically will keep them all year. Maybe there is an alternative strategy open to people, which wasn't available last year, to be able to jump around a little bit and to be able to kind of just say, you know what, in this group, Anthony, I'm going to play around. I'm going to kind of just target the fixtures. I mean, obviously, form's always going to be there, um, but you can target the fixtures and kind of say, you know what, I know that you know, this is going to happen next. So game week seven, for example, Lukaku's about to run into a great run of fixtures. So that means that I just give up on whatever premium I have because this guy is going to come in and this guy's going to be my captain. Yeah, there are just so many options that are worth considering. And as you say as well, there are very specific fixture shifts that are so identifiable. If you just go onto the FPL website, for example, click into any players and those lovely greens and greys and things. But what you start to see here is that, let's say for Tottenham, we have one coming in right now between game weeks three and game weeks four. And so this is why we're seeing a lot of jittery fingers hanging over wildcard buttons, because getting Son or even Kane is starting to look quite viable. Liverpool are about to turn the corner onto a pretty good... Uh, run between kind of game weeks four to six into eight. Uh, Man United have a pretty good run between game week three to seven, which means that I think the double up between Bruno and Greenwood is very much viable for another few weeks, as long as you feel that Greenwood is going to keep his place. And then kind of looking a little bit further down the line, and I think what's becoming part of the argument for not wildcarding right now is because Chelsea have a very good run starting from game week seven that runs up through almost to Christmas. And City likewise have a good run that starts in game week eight and runs pretty much to that first half end of the first half of the season as well so there's quite a few options kind of coming into view and especially when it comes to those Chelsea and City assets and this kind of links back to my prelude at the start of this podcast and that if you can time your run to pick up the likes of Lukaku the likes perhaps of Havertz and Mount and certainly then with City you've got the 
KDBs of this world, who we've just discussed, has previously been a 200 club inductee. You could say the same for Sterling if he finds his form. And then Grealish, who's obviously just arrived there. And at 8.0, I think, is very accessible for our teams. As you said, you can look through, and anyone can do this. So we've, we've ended on game week three to nine scene here. You can look through and you can find the following set of timings, or the times Anthony's just described, for players in 200 club. Identify the players you may want and figure out a formative plan. Now, a fun exercise you can do, obviously things can change. Prices will change and some premiums will simply be fixture-proof. But something we can do to see if you can have an aggressive roadmap is to check where in the calendar you may wish to make changes. Now, I know that Anthony's laughed at this in the past for correct reasons. I encouraged him to, you know, just saying, oh, you know, game week three, you can be buying this guy in for this guy, but only if this guy rises 0.1 and then I can kind of facilitate it and make it all work. And but only if this guy's not really working, but you can uh, plan that thing effectively. So imagine, for example, you start with Son and Bruno now two weeks because as Anthony mentioned Spurs have got Watford and Crystal Palace so in this kind of hypothetical situation I wild carded or I've done Salah to Son and uh, Bruno has Wolves Newcastle then when Son's fixtures stiffen in game week five you then bring in Salah or Mane for him uh, they've got uh, Crystal Palace and Brentford then you wild card in game week seven you buy Son back games uh, they've got Aston Villa Newcastle and West Ham swap from Bruno and Salah to the car can probably Grealish over KDB um, as both Chelsea and City have a great run to game week 19 as Anthony's mentioned maybe you know that's your solid kind of few maybe we still have Son again in game week 10 you maybe buy back Salah and Ormane at that point because they get a really good run then too game week 14 you've got a bit of an issue because then United have a good run so maybe you have to fit in Sancho maybe maybe Mason Greenwood types up your Salah solid Greenish core it's all possible to do and it's all something that, like, obviously there's loads of context you've got to build in. Like, I wasn't going to put my own team through a team planner just to kind of show you how it can be done. If you head over to the YouTube, um, you can see kind of a really basic plan that I've put together. Um, and you know what? Even though this is all pie-in-the-sky, you know, type dream world stuff, the sort of thing, as I mentioned, Anthony's parodied a lot in the past, and I'm not by any means saying this is something I would do, but you can plan to cover in all of the good fixtures with the premiums this year. And there is a possibility if you have a remorseless focus on fixtures um, to basically play aggressively in that way. Um, but I mean, Anthony, any thoughts on a plan like that? I know obviously the obvious cynicism is one thing. Um, yeah. but is, is this a viable idea or would you still be kind of espousing the sort of, you know, caution, um, you know, stick with your kind of men sort of thing, given the context we've just mentioned? I guess my, my view is always a little bit paradoxical on these things because I kind of laugh at the idea of making a plan out like, like this, but at the same time, I wouldn't necessarily be the type to be preaching caution when it comes to transfers with premiums either. Um, so I kind of fall between two stools in that respect. And I guess that was to my detriment last year and that I was still happy to take the gamble and take out those premiums and then suffer at the hands of uh, the template continuing yeah, you, you to matter us. You've got an objective this year to do literally what I'm putting in yes, front of you here. So I do, I, could, I do, I, I do. Plan, I? Um, I wouldn't go quite go that far. But what I would say about this plan, and as you say, Tom, I would almost encourage people who are listening on the audio, to, if they want to have a look at this plan, to go forth and have a look at it on the YouTube. But what's interesting about it is that, okay, first of all, it only uses four free transfers. So it does actually allow for people to do other things like you Usually the plans that I'm parodying are plans that use up every single free transfer all the way along. And this doesn't necessarily do that. Like this is a plan that goes from game week three to game week 19 and only looks at using four free transfers. So there's a certain level of realism to it that isn't necessarily in these plans. And usually. A wild card in seven. 
I was about to say that it does rely on the wildcard and that is a bit of an issue. It is obviously a bit of a detrimental thing because once you use the wildcard, you don't have it. I'm going to discuss wildcards again in a minute, but I guess at the same time, it is still a detrimental factor if you're using the wildcard because you don't have it again. A few problems with this, and maybe I'm talking in the very near term, by setting up on Liverpool assets in these coming few weeks. And I think this would be the real focus for people. Tom's plan here advocates selling your Salah now, basically, to get in your son, effectively. And that means you have no Liverpool player, uh, presumably, for leads away in game week four. And later on, with the hokey-cokey that he does with the wildcard and things, he ends up with no Liverpool player again for game week eight. Now, and we'll probably come to this, you could plan to cover the likes of Salah with your TAAs and your Jatas, and you would be doing that using the wildcard, let's say, um, within this plan, so that's useful. But the fact that maybe Trent Alexander-Arnold isn't dealt with in this plan, I think is something that kind of almost needs to be focused on as a headline thing. I've got, and I've got, data, be, I've got data on the sample. I've, I've got again. it all covered in a minute. Yes, oh. and so it's like, but it's almost like he is so fundamentally important to teams that it's almost like, if you're considering premium roulette, you always have to remember that Trent Alexander-Arnold can keep up with pretty much every premium in terms of returns. I also wonder with this plan, if we're going a little bit too long without City cover, going to game week seven, if the yeah, City maybe, machine, maybe. if the City maybe. machine so is starting rotation, to purr. It's rotation though, isn't it? That's, that's it why is, you it is. perhaps want to just let it be. Like just kind of think, well, you know what? There's going to be a smaller number of people who are jumping in by game week seven. We can see if it's like sort of Grealish who are getting the consistency of starts, and you know, part of me thinks he might. And I think that kind of just uh, to bring this on, um, the fact that we've just mentioned kind of the likes of Grealish, we will come on to Trent as part of that for just a second. We will come on to him. The likes of Grealish, we also mentioned uh, Mason. I, I think this is kind of going to throw the focus a little bit on finding values and the importance of Rikers or Robins. I call them Rikers because I'm a Star Trek nerd, but a Robin is another analogy. So, you know, Riker is obviously the first officer in Star Trek uh, Next Generation. You may, you always want the Picard, but sometimes <laughs> you, have to, you have to settle for second choice like this guy. Um, and, uh, you know, for Star Trek phobes, I mean, you've you got Batman, you've got Robin. Sometimes you want Batman, but you can't afford it. So you've got to go for the Robin outfit. Um, and I think that this year, if you think about it, we've mentioned a few of these players already, Sancho, Grealish, Havertz. These players, I think, could play a heightened role because, as you said, Anthony, you know, we're trying to fit in the likes of Salah, Lukaku, maybe try to fit in Son as well because he's 10, you know, he's a proxy sort of uh, premium who, as I said, into preseason, he's a premium without quite the premium price. I think these players are going to be very important this year in terms of can they cover the main guy in their teams. And uh, I'll always back Talisman Theory, for example. But in these situations where we've got a multitude of high-priced Talisman, it probably is fine to go with the Riker and perhaps as well in other spaces focus on Talisman from lesser clubs. Like all it needs is a Jimenez at full pilt or Ben Rama to become a latter-day Matthias Pereira. And we're all good, aren't we? It is to an extent, but I feel like... Inevitably, we end up focusing on top five and top six team players. And so whilst somebody like a, potentially a Ben Rama could become a player that we'd want in our sides, I think people are going to always feel the pain of the big premium from the big team hitting 
and they're going to want to get that. And so I feel like you'd be a brave person, even if you're returning the points as you need them to not feel your, uh, yourself getting a little bit itchy yeah. wanting to move to get the likes of a Salah or indeed a coverage pick like a Jota into your side. And I think that's what's really interesting about this season is that most of the elite players that we would often be looking at have a cover. And so with Bruno, that's obviously Greenwood. It could well be Sancho as well going forward. Their midfielders as well. So there's kind of that direct comparison. They get the same amount for goals. Salah, you have Mane, but you know, Mane is the same price. It's like it's like an ex- maybe Jossa in the combinations uh, sorry, yeah, combinations and yeah. that's Trent just the moment. Yes, but but Jota, I guess, yeah, what, what he doesn't have compared to Trent is of course he is a midfielder, so he doesn't get defensive points. And so there's like that direct kind of comparator with him. But the thing about Jota is that he so frequently has underlying data which is not quite at Salah's level, but quite close to it. And so Jota in and of himself, it's not inconceivable that he could be a 200 club player. It would be a surprise because it would require finishing that he hasn't shown. <laughs> But yeah. it's not inconceivable either at the same time. Like if you're a player who is playing for a team like Liverpool when they're on song, you can very accidentally find your way to 20 goals in a season. And uh, that could that could quite easily happen to him. Lukaku, I think it's different because Mount, Havertz, etc. They, especially Mount, has shown that they can create chances. When they needed to score goals, they weren't necessarily the goal scorers that were required. Now, Havertz, I know, had a very pockmarked season last year, has shown it in bursts that he is a good goal scorer. And unfortunately, yeah, and, and, and at Leverkusen as well. And at Leverkusen previously in the Bundesliga, he was double figures for goals, etc. Yes. But we haven't seen it in the blue shirt yet. And we still haven't seen it in the two games this season. I know he was quite close to getting one against uh, Arsenal, but didn't finish it with the chip towards the end. But at the same time, it still hasn't happened for him. Lukaku is exactly what that Chelsea team needed. And I feel like, unlike Bruno and Salah, he kind of stands alone as this talismanic, potential talismanic force in that Chelsea side that sure. isn't the same. I think he's harder to cover. Yeah, I think Mount... you can't. It's, he's less likely to be cannibalized by somebody else. Uh, Correct. Maybe, yes. maybe you've got maybe Salah is just a, a slight level above Mane. Um, but he, there's always that chance that Mane could do that, which is why they priced him at 12. And I agree like across the spectrum of the kind of players that I mentioned earlier on, that the Riker or the Robin isn't quite there. Um, I think with Man City, though, I think that probably is an example of a, of a, of a team where, you know, the, the, the Picard, I think, is a super fit Kevin De Bruyne, um, but the thing is, is that he's had one Yaya Toure season sandwiched between two Diaby seasons, effectively. Um, and like, I think that that's where there's a, a certain level of interest. I, I don't think that having somebody like Mares, for example, um, is worth the money um, of what you lose from him not playing one week and you have to rely on your 4.5 million defending him off the bench or this week. Oh, um, him getting lucky with him and him scoring off the bench it was Norwich to be fair um, but someone like Torres and maybe Grealish at eight is kind of just about on the level and you know for the the, kind of, the massive amount of money that's been spent here maybe it's very logical sort of uh, maybe a too logical point but he's got the excellent talent bought by bought for a large amount and Pep surely wants to be playing him as much as possible to get him sort of tuned up to what he expects from a player like him that he played well versus Norwich and I think that probably is enough for me to think he's worth inclusion at least I think this is the thing with City is that you can take an expensive risk and that's what it feels like right now both Sterling and KDB would be Uh, kind of in the Mane mould of it's entirely possible that they will have a brilliant season and we'll react if so but right now when you look at that City team you're like okay Mara is at 
nine million. He is in and of himself a two hundred club player potentially, but if he gets the minutes and things, but you can um, you know maybe offset slightly and go for a Torres if he continues to start through the center. I think Pep has been quoted kind of saying that he has a. Um, a typical kind of pep quote he was saying that he has the qualities of a striker or he thinks like a striker he had a, a quote along those lines when talking about Torres um, you could also say the same maybe for obviously Grealish and Grealish could be kind of everything that we've been looking for in a consistent player in that city side who can continue to play I still fear that Pep Rodin is going to be a factor with him especially when the Champions League kind of kicks off um, I think if you want to get Grealish into the swing of any competition it's the Champions League not necessarily the Premier League actually though at City and you, you might laugh but especially if they don't make any signings coming into this uh, the end of this transfer window Gabriel Jesus at 8.5 certainly out of position in the negative sense playing on the wing not as a forward could actually be quite easy. be amazing pick. value he? He, he could at, at 8.5 he actually could be because he does provide a bit of a goal scoring uh, threat but as we saw against Nart and now Norwich were so bad at defending from on their left flank. Uh, so Jesus was just having a field day down the right. Like it was kind of embarrassing. Daniel Farker was even saying afterwards, we worked on this all week. It shouldn't have happened. They were done by the exact same goal twice, um, which isn't good at all. Yeah, but, it was, but, 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 but Jesus was a huge part of that. He was the guy executing the, you know, the classic city mm. cutback on the right-hand side. And that's, that's pretty promising to see. And I think even... Uh, Pep in the midst of praising of all people Gabriel Jesus' parents for the child that they've raised he also mentioned how he thinks that Jesus um, kind of has all of the qualities of a winger and indeed he did play as a winger kind of in his in a previous life before he came to Man City that was kind of what he was and he kind of had to be converted into a bit more of a striker as time went on so it is quite interesting to see that maybe he may find a home again in the City side just as it seemed like he was about to fall out the exit door Yeah, no, absolutely absolutely, okay, great Um, but I think we've mentioned him a couple of times. But there's, there's actually two big losers in all of this, not not just Trent. Um, in a kind of, if we are reverting to a kind of quasi old school, poor money forward kind of strategy, there's always going to be someone or something that falls between the cracks. And when we're speaking about this, it became clear that we actually lose out on a couple of men here if we're trying to construct a team with, say, Salah. Lukaku and a couple of Rikers. That's Trent and Robertson or a big defence. It's a fascinating one, really, because you know, Trent's already on most chance created the season. Second half of the last season, he created the most chances. He had the highest XA. And he was second to West Brom's prayer in terms of points scored for all players. Reaching back through time in his breakout season 2018-19, he's averaged 185 points over the last three seasons. And so is Robertson. Um, but if we're trying to construct a team with the guys who will be grabbing the headlines, being our captain picks, like those are the people we may kind of naturally gravitate towards, are we naturally losing out elsewhere? Um, so basically, what I did is look at this. Um, is I looked at um, well a few things. So I looked at over the last three years for many of our protagonists in the upper reaches. I um, mean, you know, what how many points they'd scored and kind of their price as well. Um, so players I looked at were Salah, Mane, Vardy, Kane, Son, Lukaku, KDB, plus Robert and Trent. And over the last three years, in terms of points totals, in terms of the average, Trent and Robertson near the bottom here, um, unsurprisingly, because all these other players kind of slightly, scored slightly more. I mean, it's still kind of, you know, really elite company, to be fair. You know, so the likes of, um, you know, Son um, are just above them. Um, the likes of Kane 187 points on average they're 185 um, and really Sterling, Salah and Mane the ones who are really far above them um, but 
what's really interesting actually i didn't have time to do a full nick um, and remove things like appearance points so i was a little bit lazy um but to look, do an indication of just how good these guys are what i did then was i divided uh price by points for this group of players and lo and behold um what you see is that trent and Robbo are comfortably first and second point in terms of points per cost, um, which is an indicator of value. At least uh, it can be refined a lot, and it's something that we've done in the past. It's something I didn't have time to do today. Um, interestingly, KDB comes out as really terrible value, but the full order of kind of valuable players in the 200 club um, over the last kind of few years in this kind of select group are Trent, Robertson, Son, Vardy, pretty much together, then Salah and Mane, and below that, Sterling, Kane, Lukaku and KDB. Just note, Lukaku is when he was at Everton and United last time he was in the Premier League. Now, I'm not suggesting these guys are still a must-own and hold. That's going to get the context that we will need captain picks. We need to be able to factor in ownership. We're not you know, running zombie teams or anything like that. But I think, kind of as we've both kind of hinted throughout this, it may kind of highlight something we may just miss if we are... You know, too busy running off the headlines because these kinds of players are going to provide a foundation every week of points. You know, this week we saw it with uh, Trent and his and uh, his Robertson's analog Shimmercast, both giving you double-digit returns, which provide the platform for the rest of your game week to kind of build on. Um, I mean, Anthony, if we're going gung ho without these premium defenders, do you think it is a big risk? I think it's a massive risk and it's only because when you think about how much bending over backwards you'd be doing to try and get a 7.5 or 7 indeed midfielder or forward into your side if you thought that they were going to return 200 points. That's the thing when it comes to those players. It, it, yes, they provide value and what's kind of frustrating about them is because they're obviously in a different position, it's harder to escape them if you feel like you need to, let's say, get in some other supporting cast, Riker, Robin, whatever you want to call it, player in. You know, if you want to get a, a Jota in, for example, or a Greenwood, it's two transfers to move it from Trent to them. But at the same time, I think that's not necessarily a negative. Like, I think it should be, you should be quite happy to have a second forget in somebody like Trent Alexander-Arnold and go with it. And I personally, I unless Liverpool's defence shows signs of having dropped off a cliff, they've obviously had two good results defensively so far, but not without some palpitations. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens when they're against sides who are maybe a little bit more clinical. But for now, at least, I'm quite content to keep Trent and wouldn't be surprised if he found his way um, into my side all 38 game weeks of the season. Yeah, I mean, all wild cards that I've done to try to fit in Lukaku, Salah and Bruno, for example, mean that your biggest defender is probably maybe a Diaz, if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. If not, you're looking at, you know, 5.5, five, 4.5 and a couple of 4.0s. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of like a, a risk of all of this could be that we forget uh, the lessons of the last few years, which have kind of shown the value that you can get from the defence in the rush to get points every week. And you'll be riding that roller coaster when in fact you could have got a steady kind of drip of points from these valuable players. Yeah, this is it, Tom. It's just, I think I'd be very, very, very fearful of running away from those points when they're there. Um, You know, it's like, yes, there's everything to be said for adopting an aggressive strategy this season. And there are rotating cast members, I think, though, that, you know, they're such that, you don't necessarily need to compromise throughout your squad completely because you can still cover to an extent in this team. And maybe to do that, I feel like three premiums is about as much as you can do. 
Now, you've just been saying how even to do that, you kind of had to make some deals with the devil. I I think you can just about do it with three premiums, but you're starting to squeeze yourself. I think three yeah, is just about as much. Like if you, if you start talking about four, it's like you're into la-la land in terms of like the extra players that you have on your side. And just maybe it's worth saying that history would suggest that you should just keep Bruno and Sava. <laughs> really and I'm not sure if I really want to avoid that uh, and like you could even double up on them too with your supporting cast members like for example just to pick United's fixtures from game week 14 to 27 they basically face almost nobody worth talking about in that whole entire quarter of the season period it's ridiculous and then as I was saying with Lukaku I think that they're just as Chelsea supporting cast members as good as they are Mason Mount is a brilliant brilliant player I don't think as it stands right now we've seen enough to suggest that those players can cover him he is the one that I'm most fearful of Fair enough I think it's definitely on the cards isn't it like if we turn to the central question should we adopt a more aggressive strategy this season it's certainly on the cards to do so Um, obviously it will take um, cojones um, to try to steal a march on those more conservative managers by trying to do something just slightly off the p- off piece. And last year it did not work. And everybody kind of who did try to do something last year was utterly kind of scarred by it. But could it happen this year with more players who are potentially able to do a job for you, even if it does mean taking a chance with the likes of Greenwood over the likes of Bruno? I think that this year could be really interesting in that regard. And I think this year there is potential um, to break out of kind of quite a patient sort of strategy um, into something which is a bit more sort of risky, week to week, living hand to mouth. Um, I think that actually generally is actually quite more, a bit more exciting being a bit of a nomad. Um, but Anthony, I mean, what, what do you reckon to it all in the end? See, this is it. I, I think we really do need to consider this aggressive strategy. And I guess I've I've kind of set out my stall on it completely. And so what I'm thinking about is like, what is the the ultimate act of you know, quote unquote aggression in this? And that is probably to use the wild card. And you have to think, let's say last season, for example, what was the right thing to do with the wild card? And uh, Fancy Football Fix, this isn't a plug, but that's where I found this data. They have a pretty good uh, thing that allows you to look back on strategies season by season that managers have taken. And in the top 50, the top 50 managers last season, 31 out of that top 50 used their wild card during the first international break. So there was like a clear indication of when you should wildcard. Okay. And that what that indicates, though, I think, is that a template formed, those people acted early, got it, and then worked with it and continued to go. Like the, the season before that, only 21 of the top 50 had gone before the international break, but actually only six of that top 50 were using their wildcard just during that international break. So, you know, even a season earlier, it's very different. And then... Fix also has data on the all-time top 50. So, you know, managers who are in the Hall of Fame or whatever you want to call it. Last season, we saw that those top 50 managers, they acted when they saw that there was a template forming and they acted aggressively early on. So uh, 17 of that, you know, all-time top 50 had actually used their wildcard just before the first international break. So it would be effectively, you know, after the coming, after this week, wouldn't it be, um, in this season? So it's kind of interesting to see that, that 17 of the top 50, and then another kind of 11 of them followed just after the international break. Um, so you, you were talking about well over half, uh, if not you know, moving into the 30s of the top 50 all-time managers had used their wildcard in that kind of first four weeks, but quite a lot of them went before the international break. And what we're seeing is that, so even in a season where we thought you shouldn't be aggressive, all of those managers acted aggressively to kind of set themselves up for a complete distinct lack of regression for the next, like, basically 30 game weeks. Um, and so... You front load your violence to get us up the pile. 
I'm, I but that's that so this is almost it. Yeah, yeah. Climb to the top of the pyramid and then start to you know, slash down with your bayonet or your sword rather than kind of fight your way up the ladder. Um, and that's actually it is quite interesting to see that. So, you know, maybe even an aggressive strategy is what usually tends to work. And, you know, this kind of idea of holding a wild card until you've got like eight weeks of data or even six weeks of data hasn't proved itself to necessarily be a successful strategy either this year or the year before. Now, the year before, indeed, it was a little bit more split, but, you know, a, you know, about half, let's say, of the all-time top 50 had kind of gone in just around the first international break. They certainly weren't waiting. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe this year, but there'll be more ways to dodge the bayonets of people kind of keeping you off the top of the pyramids because of what we've said about there being more options there. But no, that, that's mm. really interesting as being like the logical end of how yeah, do I play aggressively. I'm going to be very aggressive very early when everybody's saying game week seven, that's my wild card. You get three or four weeks and you, you hope that you got the template three or four weeks and people will be trying to hold fast to that plan. Wildcard in game week seven when Lukaku all turns over and Chelsea's fixes come good and City's fixes come good. Um, trying to get on that early, riding out a few poor fixtures, but basically having those players, I could understand that. Um, and maybe that could be good to, as I said, dodge the bayonets of people trying to keep you down uh, from that point. Last year, we saw the top of the pyramid basically being a sealed kind of hermetic sort of block, didn't we? Uh, so maybe this time, maybe a bit different. Um, yeah, no, I think let's leave that there because we've obviously got a couple of questions on wild cards later. We can kind of dip into this more, but no, very interesting. Um, it'd be really interesting to see how this season does turn out. Um, but I do think it is a valid strategy this year and a valid alternative strategy this year to not kind of go with the herd and do your own thing because there are a few players in that upper bracket who could, could, break you in uh, to where you want to be in those upper echelons. Right, let's take a break there and we move on uh, to the correspondence and questions after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Cool, so we're back and it's a time to go into the correspondence this week. And uh, for YouTubers, you've got a, a treat uh, because you can watch a nice little graphic. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is our section. Well, Anthony can introduce it, but our section where we ask the great and the good of the FPL community uh, to write into us to give us something to debate. Yes, John, that is exactly what the correspondence section is. It is very much the chance for people to write in with their thoughts, queries, addendums, clarifications, whatever it might be on previous podcasts or indeed just what's going on in the FPL world. People write in usually to got the assist at gmail.com, but given the, the slot is so versatile, when people are trying to do something a bit innovative that requires another method of sending, we'll try and work it out. Uh, but this week, uh, it's uh, Ray Gooner who has come in by the standard who got the assist at gmail.com email method. Uh, you'll find Ray on Twitter at FPL Ray Gooner underscore 49. Uh, so his email went as such. And this did come in pre-season, so just there's a, an element of it that maybe just dates it, but you'll you'll hear what I'm on about. Hey guys, hope you're well. I'd like to look at the use of last year's seasonal data versus using short samples at the beginning of the season to assist in decision making. How far into the new season do you think we can use data to draw meaningful conclusions and identify potential longer term? trends. As an example, Brighton last season, statistically on XGC, were a fantastic defence. What happens after three game weeks in the new season if they rank 18th for XGC? Do we go with the new season, albeit a short sample, that Brighton are a bad defence and or rely on last season's data? In addition to this, based on previous seasons, when do you think we have enough data to make an informed decision on wildcards in the new season? To summarise, 
It'll be awesome to get your opinion on the use of previous seasonal data versus short samples at the beginning of the season, and which you believe is to be the most appropriate to assist in FPL decision-making, and also when you believe we have enough data to make meaningful conclusions, potentially identifying trends. Thanks so much, and sorry it's a long one. Cheers, Ray. Uh, Ray, we appreciate long emails, and indeed, whilst Brighton are doing well um, so far this season defensively, the the point still stands that you know they had good data last season and they weren't necessarily matching it. This year, they've only two; they have two weeks. The data remains good, and they are now matching it. And should we necessarily be drawing conclusions from that that we weren't able to draw last season? So it, it totally holds up as a question. Absolutely. I mean. <sighs> Oh, it's tough, isn't it? Um, but I think the reality is we need to react to what's in front of us. Um, I guess we're always looking for signs in the data as it is. Um, but at this point in the season, as we said last week, you know, we're a data-driven podcast without much data. Um, at this point, I feel like anything we see in the data needs to be accompanied by a solid eye test. Basically, anything I draw conclusions about right now. So last year, for example, I bought Hammers in game week one uh, for Kai Havertz. I did that because Kai Havertz was awful in his debut, whereas Hammers, the data said that he created a lot. And from watching him, he created a lot. And for actually scoring points, I thought that was worthwhile. Last week, it was a little bit easier because Ben Rama obviously did very well in the second half versus, uh, uh, in, 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 uh, versus Newcastle. And I kind of thought, well, you know what? Of him and Greenwood, perhaps he would be the one to do the job and his next kind of three fixtures were probably a tiny bit better less rotation kind of chance as Lingard goes there um, so I thought he was again a very similar kind of one where his data was okay um, but the eye test in the second half against um, against Newcastle was good enough to maybe kind of go there um, the data itself um, seasonal data in general on a one season level it can be a bit crap actually um i know kind of why you'd say for example why you look at brighton yeah last season a fourth low for it for xgc etc etc i think it's essentially kind of cold data like if, if you want to look at it over the course of the last few seasons like we looked at earlier on in terms of 200 club or looked at in terms of that kind of very very basic uh, points per cost thing to make a case for quantifying you can kind of do it but if you say last season x happened people can always come back with, yeah, but remember Y and Z, those kind of particular sort of contextual cues about last season. And last season particularly, and the season before that, was a COVID season. So, you know, data then is always going to have to be uh, in terms of that, effectively. I guess in terms of when I'm going to start using data, we'll start peppering it in every now and again. Um, but I think six weeks is when I'll kind of start really kind of trying to judge things on the data a little bit. And um, we've got kind of free home games, free away, blah, blah, blah. But I've got to be conscious to remember, and this should be implicit rather than something we make explicit. We, we're not going to be saying this every time. We're going to be giving this caveat every time in terms of the kind of give man to fish or eat for a day, teach man to fish or eat for a lifetime sort of stuff that we try to do here. And I, I'm, I'm not going to, we're not going to be kind of prefacing everything we kind of say on the data as kind of our interpretation thereof. And we expect you to know that. Obviously as well, it's not perfect. So um, even though that six game weeks is when I will start looking at the data and kind of thinking, yeah, okay, I can kind of make observations based on data alone and kind of hope for a trend there. Um, in, my, in my professional life, for example, I like a base of 50 as a sample size for anything I'll quote a, a percentage from. And as you heard in the analytics pod as well, the likes of Simon and Jamie need 20 weeks worth of data to mess with their priors. So it's a bit of a vexed question. Um, and, you know, there's all this you snooze, you lose stuff from last season. And we maybe we'll see, you know, Anthony has mentioned earlier on with the wild cards, people are jumping on the wild cards um, and making observational moves or moves based off kind of a tiny, tiny amount of data, um, you know, two data points 
if they meet up together like that's a Ben Rama, that being the cause of the decision. But um, I guess it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely quite an interesting question, especially when you look at kind of people like us who are quite data friendly versus others who are kind of, kind of quite ISS friendly or frankly not as engaged as we are. Okay, taking in everything that you said about usually the need for, you know, decent data horizons. And I guess I do think back to what the lads were saying, as you noted, in the analytics summer special, they were saying 20 game weeks is what you need. I'm not necessarily somebody who's like that either. And even I would feel that even after two game weeks, I can draw some conclusions from the data. Not huge conclusions, but some conclusions. Like at the end of the day, FPL is relatively simple. And usually what it's about is spotting the big point scorers. They're the ones that are really going to affect our rank. And so that's, you know, trying to pick out which of the elite, you know, top players do we need to be looking at? Who, which teams look to be on form? And so I think you can look to their da- you know, data of, let's say, a Liverpool, for example, and say, hmm, okay, their attack, not just Sada, but their attack in general looks to be humming quite nicely. Um, you can also, for example, look to Lukaku, I think, even on one game, and granted it was against, you know, a side that might well find themselves relegated. And, and you still see that um, Lukaku is getting chances and kind of being set up and looks more dangerous than Timo Werner probably ever looked last season at number nine. Like I, I feel like that's a very harsh thing to say, but I think it's, that it's, that's it's very true. It's very it true. is. It's it's look, the look more assured, more accomplished. You know, in in that position. Yeah, it's it's the way. It's not just also the way that he was getting in goal chances. You know, getting in goal scoring positions. Like his XG was well, well north of one. He had he was set. He obviously got a very good tap in, but was very close to kind of picking up uh, another one later on that Leno made a very good save for. And there was another kind of chance where he was you know inches away with his foot. His also his uh, it's his XA. Like his XA was huge from the game. He set up mount quite a few times. And like that is, you know, complete striker territory that even in one game, you're kind of thinking, okay, this guy, we need to pay attention to him. You know, this is, this is not the Lukaku who was at Man United. This is a very, very different uh, player that we're dealing with as well. um, Some other data that I'm looking at already based on two weeks and thinking, okay, we need to pay attention. Wolves. Their defence um, is looking quite good with the new manager coming in. I wasn't quite sure how that was going to play out. None of us were quite sure. And whilst they obviously have conceded in both of their games so far, what you see is you know their X their you know their XGC for example isn't too bad considering who they faced. So like they have a mid table XGC of kind of like let's say two point eight seven on uh, uh, hub, which is what I'm using right now. You know, that is quite good in the context of the two games that they played against Spurs in particular. They really shot them out quite nicely. The other one I would point to is Aston Villa. Mm. Their set pieces actually are where I'm going to be focusing. They have clearly added in terms of their set pieces. And this isn't an accident. They have bought, brought in Austin McPhee onto their coaching staff. Well, who is Austin a set McPhee? Piece coach. A set piece coach who was with Northern Ireland previously, uh, amongst others. And um, Northern Ireland uh, proved themselves quite a draught at finding goals for, with, you know, players that wouldn't necessarily be expected to score goals consistently at international level. And if you can set up somebody who's a real kind of out-and-out finisher like Danny Ings, or even the likes of John McGinn, who's a good set-piece taker who can become suddenly a bit more of a points hive, I think that's something that needs to be paid attention to. And I feel much more comfortable, actually, with Ings uh, another week later. I wasn't too comfortable after he'd kind of fluked yeah, his way to a penalty. Yeah. But after the second week, when you saw the types of goals that Villa scored, there was the long throw-in that was well set up. There was also the corner that eventually led to them getting a penalty that El Ghazi ended up taking. But that actually was all caused from a set piece which kind of forced it. And so you're like, okay, this is rehearsed. This is serious. This is something that we can take on board. And we're only looking at two weeks' data. But 
that's contextualizing. I'm taking that data on the merit very carefully along with the eye test and I'm not relying on it. You know, like if you come eight weeks in, I'm happy to start comparing players, for example. Like I'm looking at individual data of individual mm. players with individual context. I'm not saying, hmm, Danny Ings's XG was worse than, you know, Lukaku's. Yeah, yeah. I'm took not doing one, that. Took one shot. It, yeah, it, we can't. We can't go. Com- we can't go. Yeah, we can't go comparing. You know, two individual players in the league right now because I really feel that is apples and oranges. Still, with yeah. six or eight game weeks, as you say, I think that's when you start to get to apples and apples territory. So that's that's kind of how I answer it. Like I even felt like I could have wild carded now this week off the back of the data that I had. I'm glad I'm not. I would rather have a little bit more. But even with four weeks of data, I would feel you know pretty confident. You know, where the international break falls, it's you know going into game week three. I only have three weeks of data. And I think I might go with it still. So, you know, to answer Ray's question, like it's it's using data responsibly. Um, and I think you can start to do that already. Yeah. Now, that critical mass of data, I suppose, is one thing. Um, whether I'm going to be happy to do it game week uh, three, game week four, hmm, maybe not. Um, because of you know, all COVID and all this kind of thing with the international break, I just don't know. But maybe the week after that, I'd be happy to do it. Maybe game week five or so. Um, but you know, game week seven is obviously the one um, where you kind of see, well, uh, where you see a couple of things kind of come together, um, which is having that critical mass of data to six game weeks and fixtures. Hooray! Uh, so, like to Lukaku um, and City obviously got Liverpool that week, but after that, they've got a great run, as I mentioned earlier on. So, maybe that could be the time that I do do it. Um, but that is the orthodox week to do it. Um, so, maybe could do something earlier. Could be where you steal a march on things. Use that aggression, as you mentioned earlier on. Right. Um, so, let's move on to the start of the questions this week. So, Karen Tizer asked, you know, in the context of the first bagbangers of this year emerging, should we jump early or wait on the clarification about the UK government tiers when they're thinking about the uh, game week for three and four transfers? And uh, Rishi, uh, FPL Raccoon, a good friend of ours, uh, said that assuming there are no exceptions granted for COVID protocols, is it time to hop off Salah uh, for the first couple of weeks? Um, so, I mean, I'm sure there'll be some kind of further clarification, um, but at the time of uh, recording um the premier league and the eca the european clubs association uh, were set to restrict players going to red list countries um so neil jones from goal was saying today that most salah was being restricted from traveling to egypt on their games and um, liverpool were okay with him going to gabon because it was amber uh, which suggests that he's been double vaccinated um and please we've got more information on this than i do um but if this does go ahead, there's a lot of knock-on impacts for other players going to red zone countries as well, like the Brazilian contingent. Um, it's one to keep an eye on because it could change. So the 25th of August, there's another meeting about how this all kind of comes together. Um, but if it's all allowed that they can stop players tra- travelling, it kind of kiboshes that Rishi idea of selling salad to me. Um, I was really thinking about that. But if the international break is renormalized as much as it possibly can be in the current context, um, I'm going to basically eliminate that sort of thinking from my mind. Uh, what do you think about this, Anthony? Yeah, so I, I was prepping to discuss this uh, before we actually had any questions in. I kind of felt like it seemed like we got to the point where the UK's traffic light system when it comes to international travel had invaded on FPL decision-making enough that we needed to discuss it. Uh, so I just need to thank a friend of the pod, Mitchell, who's a travel industry insider for explaining that UK traffic light system to me. So I was actually able to speak on this. So 
I think it's important for people to know what a red list country is. And these are countries that are considered of such high risk that even where someone is vaccinated, it's not relevant. And as a normal person who isn't, you know, a Premier League playing millionaire, exceptional sports person, they would be expected coming back from this country, from these red list countries to quarantine in a government appointed hotel at their own expense for 10 days. That's £2,300 uh, with meals and all the rest of it. Those red list countries include a mix of South American countries that have a lot of the gamma variant. Then you've got a, lot, a bunch of Southern and Eastern African countries that have the beta variant. And then there's others with high case numbers or where there's a lack of trust in data or where there are high numbers of travelers coming back from that country that are testing positive. Just to give a bit of context on this, for example, though, recently the UAE and India came off the red list, yet Pakistan, which has much better metrics than India and the UAE has daily test counts that are a bit dubious, in Pakistan still ended up on the red list in spite of the fact that it had probably better looking uh, data than the UAE and India. And so I guess what this indicates is that there is a very political nature to this and there is a lack of transparency to what thresholds mean that a country goes on and off these lists, which make it very hard for us as FPL managers to start predicting, you know, it's like, okay, sure, Gabon is, is amber today but will it be red tomorrow? I don't know. Like this is the thing is that we can't be 100% certain in our planning with these things. And so it is important. So especially when we're dealing with African players and South American players, the odds are of them going near a red list country are particularly high. The European players, it's, it's not as big of a factor. Amber list countries, we've mentioned them already, Gabon being one of them. You have no isolation periods, drive on as long as you're vaccinated. Um, if you're not vaccinated, you have to isolate at home yeah, and there is yeah, testing I mean, and all the rest it, of it. It's all very bit murky who's yes. been double, double vaccinated and not. It sounds like Salah from Liverpool saying that Williams let him go away to Gabon. Yes, it's it, quite, indi- it it's quite like indicative. Second, he's got it's two qu- vaccines. It's quite indicative, yeah, that if if they're okay with him going to Gabon, then that probably says that he wouldn't be nece- he wouldn't be under the obligation to isolate at home. Uh, basically. And then there are green list countries as well. Those are just drive on, do whatever, open season, nobody's checking anything, just come in and out, pretend it's it's early 2020 or 2019 all over again. Um, Just for what it's worth then, kind of just to hammer it home, like, you know, there is a political angle to who is on, which countries are on this. There's little transparency. We can't reverse engineer the data to figure out which countries are likely to come on and off these lists. You just kind of have to keep your eyes peeled. There is a COVID meeting coming up uh, this week. Uh, which would necessarily probably pull uh, countries on and off this list. I think it's on Wednesday, so we'll get some idea after that. Uh, But for now, we don't necessarily know. And just with exemptions as well, there's none being talked about right now, but it seems like the way the news is moving, these things are going to have to be discussed if players are to go on international duty. We have seen exemptions for essential workers in the past, even when regulations were tougher on travel, oil workers, diplomats, politicians, scientists, business people who were working on significant deals that might benefit that sweet, sweet UK economy and elite sports people and UEFA big weeks have all found themselves exempt um, and got in and out when they would have necessarily been expected to quarantine before. It's not impossible that these players might be allowed to go uh, in the end, but it seems like there's a kind of a PR risk with that, that you would have a smack of one rule for them type scenario mm-hmm. that would not necessarily go down well with the powerful UK red top papers. Oh, so man. with that in mind, you know, will they even let them go in the end? Is it easier for teams like Liverpool and we've seen City and a bunch of others to dig their heels in? It might be easier for them to do that. And it looks like they have a position that they can do that. Sure. I mean, clubs can always do what they want effectively, as long as they do it cleverly. Um, PR risk, great way of p- putting it. What we can see next week, a lot of 89th minute withdrawals with a knock 
there'll be a few players maybe with a short sore back who are a bit worried about how it will go down at home um, if they don't kind of um, fess up and go to international duty. I think that's definitely something that we're going to see. Yeah, the classic IB injuries are going to be one part of this. But I think it is interesting that you know the PR battle has very much been started to wage a little bit earlier than we expected. I was talking about putting this traffic light stuff into the podcast before any of this farrago started today. And we thought, I think we were kind of thinking, do we really need to do it or do we not? But I think what you're seeing is that the, the PR battle has begun with the clubs who are really just trying to just get off completely from sending players away yeah. in as much as possible. Yeah. To say, you know, it's it, it, we're just protecting our interests, which is fine. I understand it. Like, you know, a huge asset like Mo Salah to my club. If I send him off to Egypt, he gets COVID again. Um, and he's suddenly out of action for three weeks. You know, potential for long COVID as well. Like, wow. Well, there's, really there's, that? There's, there's that. But even if, um, even just excluding the risk of the virus itself if you have a player who is expected to quarantine for two weeks and you pay them 100 grand 200 grand a week yeah, yeah. you know it's like it's just as simple as that and so it's yeah, like of course no, it's, it's paid leave in a contract sort of environment isn't yeah it? so it's so in the, with that in mind it, it totally makes sense and it's natural that the clubs want to protect their interests and to be perfectly honest with you from an fpl perspective like it's very few, well, okay, this isn't necessarily the case for teams outside of Europe, but certainly in Europe, at least, we don't necessarily have an important international break coming up. No. Um, I mean, I know, think it's, that isn't the case up, elsewhere. It's World Cup qualifiers in, Europe, in Egypt, for example. It is. Um, yes. And this, yeah, I think it's quite an important set of fixtures yeah. as well in South America. Yeah. I think it's, it's one to keep an eye on, basically. Um, if it goes ahead as it is now, then, as I said, it renormalizes international break because you probably won't see players going away to dodgy places, dodgy in terms of COVID risk. And I think that hopefully we'll have some clarity this week as ever with the 25th of August meeting for the UK government. Probably get something on Thursday or Friday, Mitchell said to us. That would be the way it will go. Right, let's move on to the FPL elf question this week. Um, he basically says, hey, I'm sat on two free transfers and I've got no idea where to go with them. Can you suggest one transfer to try to ensure I don't get left behind and one transfer where I can try and actually get out of the crowd? Well, Mr. Elf, it's our friend Dave at FPL Elf on Twitter. Is it at FPL Elf? I think it's at Elf FPL actually on Twitter. Um, I think actually the don't get left behind transfer this week is fun enough Livramento um, because people are looking at Shimikas and you know he's going to rise or will have risen hopefully by the time you guys listen to this um, but I genuinely think gem- like in general um, the engaged community is on a bit of a hold steady week yet again as Anthony noted right at the start of the podcast the template has done pretty well aside from the likes of Ben White and Tony undergoing a fire sale but the template is still intact so if you are kind of trying to not be left behind I would think just hold your horses here on making big moves this week if you don't own the likes of Ben Rama Antonio definitely buy those sorts of players in um, but I think that you know in terms of you know, trying not to get left behind just kind of Creating some bank value is a good idea. So either Shimikaz to Livermento, that's obviously a one-for-one. One. Uh, but if you've got kind of a player like Ben White or something who is dropping in value, potentially he'd be one to bring in. If you can get ahead with the rescinding of a potential international break jeopardy, and this man Rafinha or Bamford, um, I know Dave's a massive Leeds fan, despite not being from Leeds, um, is, is who I'd point to. Um, just because up until game week 10, uh, Leeds only play Liverpool from now um, in terms of game uh, top four 
uh, fixtures. And either of them is a sound long-term investment. What do you think Anthony to that? I'm sure those people will be in the two free transfers. What the hell do I do sort of vote? I think speaking to most people who would be probably have something akin to the twin plate, there's probably a defensive transfer that, you know, will make them want will make them want to make a move uh, if it isn't necessarily further forward. Like the Tony is kind of the most interesting one when it comes to the real classic template team that, you know, Ings is performing, Antonio is performing, Calvert-Lewin, who was kind of on the periphery of the template, he's performing and his fixtures are pretty good as well. Yeah. And so I can, I can quite easily see how people are looking potentially to move on Tony. There isn't an obvious answer there um, for who you would bring in. Uh, Armstrong, maybe perhaps at Southampton has had, you know, he's obviously got one goal, but he he looks pretty good and he's pretty sharp. And he could have had an assist if things had played out differently with the Fred own goal uh, in the United game as well. Uh, also kind of, you know, looking a bit cheaper, kind of the, the likes of the, the Norwich guys. Uh, Neil Mopé would have been the one we'd have been identifying here, but there's all sorts of question marks about his fitness right now. So I think that would have been a classic get ahead because we're talking about boring defensive picks or, you know, swapping a 4.5 or whatever. The ceiling for what that could do for your points potential is much lower when you compare it to what, you know, a new striker could do, for example. But that said, Tony has good fixtures and I personally don't think I want to make that move yet. Slightly more defensive, slightly more boring is then looking at defence. Uh, it's your Veltons, your Whites, or maybe even your Chimicas who you have banked a little bit of profit in that you might want to move. You've mentioned Livramento. That's one Shane Duffy looks like he's going to get at least another game week with Veltman out. I'm personally, I had the chance to make this move and I did not do it um, purely because I just don't think that I want to have this problem of another transfer coming down the tracks. I think Shimakas is going to become a problem for a lot of us soon. And Veltman is already a problem for me as well. So I basically actually needed to make a move to make sure that I had 11 players in the coming week. Livermento is where to go. But Livermento is fine. I know what you've done. We'll talk about what you've done in just a little bit. In a minute, yes. I don't want to bury the lead. I don't want to bury, I want to bury the lead. But yeah, there are other, some, there are other um, defensive moves there as well. Like the likes of Tanganga, 4.5 at Spurs. Their underlying data isn't particularly good, but you can't argue with clean sheets when they're keeping them. And I think Connor Cody, I've mentioned Wolves' defence. Um, I think Wolves in spite of the fact that they haven't actually kept a clean sheet yet, look quite good defensively. And I'm pretty hopeful for them, especially with a very good fixture run coming up. So that's just kind of, you know, classic defensive mood. Fair enough. Right, next question. The Lukaku Luge. Um, so obviously we've mentioned this a few times and all of the people Twitter are on it. Um, but Joshua B96 on Instagram. Ask a question on Instagram. I'll put them on the pod. Do it if you listen through Instagram alone. Um, asked uh, what we make of Lukaku going forward in FPL. We've probably covered some of this to some extent. Um, because you know when to jump on. Josh says he's a Chelsea fan. He's resistant urge to need you come in. Um, but he worries that prices are going to rise before that kind of vaunted game week seven run where things kind of get really really good. And FPL expects agents as well. And um, also ask if it's worth getting him in now or waiting until that Palace game. Um, I think I'm waiting. At the moment, um, maybe I will change my mind if he scores against Liverpool. And um, because he is a sort of player who, you know, let's make no bones, no bones about it. We we said it already. Like you know, Twitter pooed its pants at Lukaku, and I can see why they've done it because there's a point that he can score against any team. He's like a true kind of you know fixture-proved sort of uh, premium in that sense. But against him, I guess. 
His incoming opposition will have centre-backs who are stronger than like Pablo Mari, whose constitution appears to be made up of Rivita. Um, you know, you've got Liverpool with Van Dijk and Matip, uh, Villa, uh, Concert and Mings, Spurs with Dyer and probably Romero by that point, Man City with Dyer, uh, Diaz and Stones in the port. Um, so maybe until game week seven is the way I'll go. But you know, he had eight shots in one game, which is the third overall for all players this season thus far, which is a bit low. Um, and he also had three attempts to persist in that game, as Anthony mentioned, which put his XGI at 1.87, according to fix for one game. Woof. Um, and I test, though, I guess you have to think there's a little bit of meshing to do at Chelsea um, as Tuchel figures out how best to adorn his newly elite his newly acquired elite kind of focal point. It's like kind of making the rest of the Christmas tree pretty after buying the gem and cross of the angel on top. Um, but he's a, he's a very scary prospect to not own. Um, and I think that he will be one who is stalking the template for a little while. You know, if Bruno doesn't perform this week, for example, against Wolves, I'm sure people will kind of start thinking, mm, you know what, what's the time we can get rid now? Um, so I can't hand on heart say don't buy now. Um, but I can understand people who are going to leave it for a little bit. I kind of got the door open, um, but really importantly, talisman theory that takes, he's the one to get. Um, so that could be the one that I do because Chelsea are going to be one of those teams with a frightening squad um, who are going to be able to do it. It's just whether Tuchel can kind of make it all kind of work to service him. And you know, signs are, but it was early stages against Arsenal, but it, going forward, I'm sure it will be a different story altogether. This is it. Like you've just described that, you know, Chelsea might, you know, they've bought the angel and they haven't necessarily worked out the rest of the Christmas tree. I, I think it's the complete opposite. I feel like they had the whole entire Christmas tree sorted and they just needed the angel on top and now they've got it. And it's it's shining also brightly and we need to pay attention to it straight away. And mm. as difficult as that is for us all to face with our, you know, well-cemented template as it stands right now, the thing with uh, Lukaku is, as you say, Tom, it's 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 that unexpected data that we saw in that first game and how the eye test matched up to it. Because those numbers could have been even higher if he had, you know, uh, you know, like a foot that was like I don't know a few inches longer. He could have found his way yeah, to or, a, an even or, higher or, XG. Or, Len- or Leno's hand was slightly smaller. <laughs> yes, well, yeah, the XG would have been the same, but the returns would have been even more eye catching. You know, at the end of the day, like eight points seemed like a an underperformance for him. Indeed, his, his expected FPL points from the game was 11 points. And, you know, I think a double-digit return would have made people take even more notice than they did of what was already a particularly impressive game. That Chelsea side, they can create chances so well. Now, they had a field day down the right that they shouldn't have through Reece. Like, Reece James should not have been given the space that he was. Uh, on the commentary that I was watching, uh, Saka was being pulled up again and again for not making any of the defensive moves that he should have been doing. He was just kind of, he was slow tracking back. He was very good in offense. Love the guy. He's a great player and things, but maybe it's a fitness thing. Maybe it's just the responsibility he was given, which was more attack focused, but they were expecting uh, an absolute miracle uh, from Kieran Tierney to stop the two players at the same time. And Reese James just really made hay while the sun shined, uh, obviously got his assist and obviously got his goal as well. And that's where an awful lot of Lukaku's chances were coming from. But also we saw plenty of his interplay in the middle with the likes of Mount to make you feel that, you know, that's the sort of thing that he could do to anyone. He won't roll centre-backs as easily as he did against Arsenal. But at the same time, he has proved himself more than adept at handling centre-backs at all variety of teams in Italy. And I wouldn't necessarily put the fact that it was Arsenal. 
I think it's entirely possible. And I was kind of saying this is kind of the doomsday scenario on the last pod that by game week seven, we come to uh, game week seven and he has already scored five goals. He's already got one of those. Uh, it doesn't take a huge amount more to score four more goals for him. He's playing against Liverpool. Okay, granted, they've done well so far defensively. I wouldn't be surprised to see them concede their first goal of the season this weekend. Then we've got the Villa game. Villa have not been convincing defensively whatsoever. Uh, Spurs then follows that in uh, game week five. The thing with Spurs is that whilst they have managed to keep two clean sheets so far, for example, like in terms of shots conceded in the box, they're third. And you might say, oh, but that's the Man City game disproportionately affecting it. No, they conceded 25 shots in the box and 14 of those were Wolves. Wolves did that. And that's a little bit concerning. Now, their, their XGC from those shots uh, isn't necessarily as bad. It's still bottom half, but it's, it's nowhere near third bad, worst. And I know there's a certain amount of you can't really compare apples and apples, but the fact that they were as poor defensively against Wolves <laughs> is very eye-opening to me because yeah. that's, that's that's a different kettle of fish to the Man City game, which I think you could have written them off for. Um, so yeah, with that in mind, I just think that you know most of those fixtures that are ahead of them, okay, the City game, sure, that's going to be tough. But I think Lukaku can do well in all of those. I think we we talk about fixture-proof players frequently and it's been a, it's obviously a limited sample size when it comes to the Chelsea game against Arsenal but in the general sense of what we know about Romelu Lukaku from his time in Italy and even previous times in the Premier League he can be fixture proof and it looks like he could well be fixture proof he certainly has the team around him to be fixture proof yeah, and seems no, to have the, I, I, the trust I get, I get that. to do I so I, I think it's just if they're able to just make sure everything kind of works as a cohesive unit like early doors, obviously, with the, uh, the tap in it was like kind of like wow okay these guys can absolutely smash it and off the second goal it kind of slowly it didn't quite look as fluent as it could have been and um, this is me nitpicking obviously because of the Arsenal sort of um, bent I've got but I think that that, that is only going to improve it's probably the only point I would make there that there's only going to be a fine tuning of how all of the support cast can service Lukaku like they've been kind of running on reinforcement sort of modes and trying to make sure that they can kind of work together as a group and now they've got kind of a focal point things are going to be a little bit different they've been, they've been unashamed sort of you know, Reese James sort of thing or they will be kind of getting those crosses in um, and maybe just maybe um, it, things will change. So, for example, Reese James, um, there is a quick question here, which we'll, I will just mention quickly. Uh, people had kind of defensive dilemmas and they asked about kind of, you know, the 5.5 throwaways, you know, the Cliffy Dude asked which of the 5.5 million defenders is, is a set up to get up season ahead. And Hadafi asked which of Reese James or Rudiger have tickled our fancy. We, we haven't got time to go into it altogether. And the one thing that we would say is obviously Shane Duffy is the man to buy. He's had the most shots of any defender. Wow. But I, th- I think that um, Reese James, um, in, the, in the two games he's, he's been on the pitch, he's probably the one here. His SGI, as Anthony mentioned, is pretty high. It's 1.55. And perhaps he could be one who could be loved and left season long if you've got a decent backup or if you're willing to accept that every now and again he will kind of just come on for a one point or a two point because he's a bit of a monster in that he can play centre back, right back in the midfield as well, almost. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely an interesting sort of area how it will go with Chelsea and Co. How are you on uh, Luke Shaw this week, Tom? Oh, I'm all right with him. I think we all thought that it might be Luke Shaw um, who would do that. 
And we saw how he can get into the bonus with chance creation. His corners basically provided that, didn't they? I'm not sure they're going to keep him long term. I mean, he's there for a reason and his fixtures going forward are all right. Like, you know, he's not going to be making it into a wild card team, literally, if I was planning it to this day. Um, but Wolves, Newcastle, West Ham, Aston Villa and Everton over the next five. I'm not worried about any of those fixtures. Like, I, he could feasibly get me an assist and a goal in any of those games. I'm not overly like enthusiastic about him. Neither am I overly concerned, effectively. I got him in for a reason. I was always going to have United defender. Um, I stand by that. And I got very lucky with him getting two bonus points this week. But there we go. Right. Next question. Tony Toss. FPL Tips asks, what do we make of Tony now? Is it the case of his underlyings eventually bearing fruit? Or is he Cameron Jerome the second in terms of being a bit of a tease? Ah, oh, Tony. 18th for XG amongst strikers beaten out by the likes of Adam Ida and Aaron Collinley. Five shots, two on target so far. It's not been a fantastic start for someone who auspiciously backed himself in the media as the season began. And I'm already beginning to make covetous glances to the likes of Adam Armstrong at Southampton for not a million less. Have you all been catfished? I'm not sure. The eye test again showed that he wasn't quite getting those chances but he was in the right positions Anthony I'm going to give him one more game I think um, but I have a real sympathy I think for those who are jumping ship and what's your view here this is it the eye test he's one of the few players I found that the eye test was much much more positive than the underlying stats I think an awful lot of that comes from the Arsenal game to be honest he was uh, much more disappointing I, granted I only watched the highlights of the Palace game but he was much more disappointing in that and I think that was the one that we would have earmarked as the game that he would have got returns in, you know, spirited performances against big teams um, in a, you know, historic emotional game at home is one thing, but the bread and butter games against Crystal Palace are the ones that we, we bought him for. And it was pretty disappointing. And the fact that his underlying stats, like, point, like an XG of 0.32 after two games, an XA of 0.07, like Lukaku had a bigger XG after 15 minutes. You know, it's like, and I know that's a that's a very reductive and um, that's, a, that's a leap. It's reductive. <laughs> it's reductive. It's flippant. It's silly, but it also kind of does you know beg a question of like he's taking up one of our eleven starting spaces, and do we want to give it to him? He uh, five shots, like two of them on target. He does seem to be sometimes a foot off. There was one chance in particular he didn't get a, a header it was he was well teed up and then he just didn't get sent off it was who who gave him the pass it was McGarthy I think sent sent a pass over towards him and he just couldn't get to it and it was the way he was muscled off it was kind of very unusual I would say for a, a Premier League uh, striker and like this is drawing so many conclusions from one moment and I, I fully appreciate that but it, it kind of made me go hmm Okay, that's, that's unusual. Because I've used my free transfer already, it wasn't on him um, as I continue to tease this bloody transfer. It wasn't on him, um, but I must say, I'm really tempted to. If Neil Mopay hadn't got injured, I think it could easily have been him. You've mentioned Armstrong. I've mentioned Armstrong. He's kind of the, the player that I think is the most tempting. He's a 6.0 and he's away to Newcastle next and has West Ham after that. Whereas with Tony, you're looking at the, the Villa game and then it's Brighton and Wolves, both of whom... I have now kind of touted their defensive stats. Um, so I, I kind of have to, you know, nail my flag to the mast on that. It would be surprising for him to get more than one against either of those, having got nothing in the previous games. But again, we're drawing an awful lot of conclusions from two games. 
Uh, one of which he did look very good in, just the underlying stats weren't there. The second one, disappointing, but everyone has an off day as well. Yeah. And I don't want to get too reactive if we can avoid it. I'm giving him one more week, but yeah. I, uh, I completely agree about the caveat about the upcoming futures. And I look at my team and think, hang on, he's playing players who are, gonna, who are in my team, are going to be in my team. And I kind of think, yeah, this, this was the time for Tony. It's not quite happened. Ooh, we gave him. Ooh, we ooh, gave ooh. him three weeks. Yeah, we got him. We got him for those three weeks, and there's a third one coming. And already we're starting to get itchy fingers. Yeah, all, all behind the player being very confident in himself. That, that's great. All behind everybody being confident in themselves. But if it was like it's not been backed up by any product. So well, look, he, like, but no, I, I think just I don't want to be seen sound like I'm being too harsh on him. Like I still think he could easily be a, a you know ten or fifteen goal season merchant. We just haven't seen enough to say that. And there are players who are returning and who are looking a little bit more dangerous in teams that look a little bit more threatening in a general sense overall that are just a bit more tempting or indeed like there are midfielders especially that I might want to get instead I don't want to sell Alain but I but you know you could get two million and sell Alain (laughs) you know I I think I'm looking at the original prankster like the original kind of Brentford which is Leeds and looking at the original prankster in terms of Bamford and thinking well yeah because I've done uh you know Gundogan to to Ben Rama I can do that yeah exactly when I do Next week, not this week. I'm going to give him one more week. But hey, right. We've been trailing a transfer and it's the most boring transfer I think I've ever heard of. Like genuinely, I'm really sorry for the let down here. I blame Anthony completely. Um, but uh, Jimmy DeClaret at Acclare FPL asks, what do you think about Wolves' assets given their pitch swing? Specifically Jimenez and Cody. He does say about Semedo as well, but Semedo's in some legal trouble. So we're going to leave that one be. Um, but Jimenez and Cody... And a few others, um, obviously, um, Adama Traore is in the meta a little bit. I mean, Wolves have had the most, second most shots in the Premier League thus far. Admittedly, mostly Adama Traore, who could go to Spurs, doubt it, but he could. Um, but he, he, could he could also shoot a ball into space. Exactly. He seems to be a, a massive stats merchant without any end product. Uh, they've made the fourth most crosses, and they're actually the second uh, for successful crosses made. Uh, Jimenez could well, eventually... Um, comes getting into one. Um, all eight of Jimenez's shots. I mean, I do like, I do love Jimenez a lot, but I think he's very rusty and understandably. And we'll need to a bit of time to perfect his party trick of scoring that sole goal, which keeps Wolves afloat um, and nabbing all, all three bones in the process. Remember the meme for Honest Jimmy? Um, it ain't much for honest work. And um, he's had eight shots in the box uh, so far this season. Second for shots in the box, but amongst all players, none of those shots been on target. So there you go. Um, the fixtures do, do turn considerably. So after game week four, no top four team after United. But defensively, Anthony, um, there's been one transfer made, the most sexy transfer I've ever envisioned. What is it? Who have you brought in and why? Uh, I have sold the popular but the much discussed Ben White um, who is still 4.5, but according to uh, some of the forecasts, is forecast to become a 4.4 before the before the sun goes up again um, in this part of the world. Uh, so in a bid to avoid the price drop and in a bid to try and get more points, I have decided to get Connor Cody into my FPL team for Mr. White. Why? A, the fixtures that you've mentioned. B, I just feel like Spurs' or Wolves' defence is looking quite good. Um, against Spurs, they 
they may have lost, they may have lost 1-0, but my goodness, they were dominant and they really did shut them out really well. It looks like they have a good cohesive unit there with that kind of three-man back line. Um, unlike some of the other teams that have tried to play three at the back this year, they're not surrendering surrendering a huge amount of space on the flanks. It's um, it's quite promising. It looks pretty cohesive. You know, their XGC, they obviously have conceded uh, twice so far this term. But their XGC is in distinctly mid-table. And then when you look at it in terms of uh, shots in the box conceded, that's even it's a little bit better again. Like they've only conceded 13 shots in the box, for example. And you know, there's basically a whole host of teams that are kind of in and around that. Your West Ham's, your Watford's, your Palaces, your Everton. But I think it's just kind of the nature of like some of the chances that they have given up were particularly high XG. They were finished, basically. Um, and that has meant that you know they haven't got the return so far. But I think the underlying stuff is there to suggest that we can be hopeful for them going forward and so I have made that transfer to try and get ahead um, I might have I could have got the likes of Duffy in uh, it would have been a move you know I have Veltman already the news has come through it would have been very on brand but like I'd have had three Brighton players in my team all of them defenders and I'd have found myself tripled up on Brighton someday um, I just didn't want to do it um, I, I was just I wasn't up for it at the time we weren't aware that Veltman was going to be 100% ruled out of the coming game week I already have Sanchez to get me my Brighton points. I didn't feel too tempted to load up on it. And so I went with Cody just to kind of avoid it. The captaincy is a slightly more thorny issue this week. I think a lot of people feel a little bit burnt by how Bruno performed against uh, in the previous game against Southampton. And indeed, United were quite flat. At the same time, in spite of everything I've just said about Wolves, I think between him between Fernandez and Salah, right now I am leaning towards the Fernandez captaincy. As much as anything, that's just because I don't want to take a risk, and I feel like that's where the majority are going to go. Okay. Uh, uh, Salah, we'll, we'll, let's go into that just now. Yeah, nice we're getting into the we're, yeah, bring, captains, that's think. where I'm bringing us. It is, it is. We're very much in transfers and captains at this point. Um, and with that in mind, like I feel like, do you want to have your Fernandez? captaincy and just to be safe I think so like you've got the chip with Salah you've got the old the against old club trope you've got the you know can do it against anyone trope you've also got the Chelsea are probably the best defence in the league and I don't necessarily think I want a captain against that ever and so with that in mind I think Fernandes is the one there that said I can see why especially off the back of the last two game weeks people are looking at Mikel Antonio and going hmm Crystal Palace it's the first differential captain of the season um, it'd be interesting oh. to see Tom where the algorithms drag you because I wouldn't Dan, be surprised maybe as well because Brentford's could be another one um, surprised if the algorithms drag you there by comparison no, just no. under underlying wise um, <laughs> I think they'll point you towards Palace yeah, so you've made your move already um, yep. Captain Fernandes probably um, yep. I mean, I, I'm in a similar kind of boat I'm going to try to not make any moves this week if I possibly can unless I decide to wildcard in game week 4 after the national break which is unlikely at this point I think I, I like having the kind of the two free chances because it's not gone too badly this week um, and um, those two free chances on national break should probably sort things out this week my bench is a bit ropey but you know there it is my bench this week is Chimikas gives White and White himself uh, last week I had one point over four players on my bench which is uh, always nice to hear because you've done it right um, I don't really want to make changes as well because I've been on the receiving end of I can't believe I went with him early doors and sold him before he returned that moan many times. 
So I'm willing to trust my squad one more game before I think about what I can do with two free transfers, having had the success with uh, Gundogan to Benrahma. Um, Captains-wise, as you kind of alluded to, Anthony, it's close for Mikel, which is the transfer algorithm. I'm not too sure what I'm going to do with that yet. Um, if it's between Salah and Bruno, if it's kind of you know within less than one point, I'm probably going to go with Bruno um, because I feel like Wolves are less likely to keep United out than Chelsea. Um, and I think it's more like Liverpool have a board draw. Um, but it is, as you said, a good week to have a punt. So I can see a lot of kind of, it feels like a bit of an upcoming split pin week. But I think it'd be nice to have kind of the certainty, or at least the kind of the perceived security of a Bruno captaincy to end it with. So I think that'll be where I'll go with all of that. Yeah, this does seem like the, the classic week where people start to overthink and then suddenly Bruno goes and gets a penalty and returns like an 11 or 12 pointer. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and everyone ends up you know, staring at themselves, feeling terrible um, in the evening. Oh, that's the last game week, like, he was unlucky. There was like a couple of good saves from him, like a couple of kind of combinations didn't pay off. It didn't quite show up in the data, yeah. but if you watch the game, he was always incredibly dangerous. And you know, on another day, that's a goal and two assists from him. So you'd be hoping that happens versus Wolves. If it doesn't, then you know, whatever. Like my my team's pretty good around the edges. Obviously, I've got Salah and TAA against Chelsea, I've got Shimmer Castles on my bench. But I mean you're going to have weeks like this and you're going to see people maybe fall off this week as well. Because if it's a low scoring week and a low average scoring week and it kind of happens, it does kind of like, could be one of those. Um, I'm lucky enough to have uh, Ailing, for example, to replace Shimikas with as I planned. Um, it could be one of those weeks, but I mean, it's, it's also a good week to roll transfer and you can see where people are doing a bridging move this week in terms of Shimikas to Livermento or something because like, you know, it's the week before the international break. You want to free transfer across the international break. So this time I will roll it. Like I was a bit annoyed that I was a transfer behind because of Gundogan. Obviously I shouldn't have been, but I'm now 10 points up from making my transfer. So I'm more than happy with the situation I'm in. Um, it's one of those, isn't it? Yeah, maybe one thing I should have said. Uh, I did feel like I was forced into my transfer. Just what you were saying um, kind of made me think Shimakas is now a problem that I feel like he might not play anymore. That put me down to four defenders. Feldman is fully ruled out. But look, I didn't think he was going to play this week anyway. That was bringing me down to three defenders. And then White had COVID. That was bringing me down to two defenders. So I was going to end up playing 10 men. So I had to move somebody on. So I decided to move on White when given that choice because he was the one who looked like he was going to fall in price First, as it's transpired now, the algorithms are suggesting that uh, indeed both White and Veltman could find themselves uh, falling in price uh, pretty soon. We'll see whether that happens. Um, Shimagas is on course rise. I was quite, I'd be quite tempted, I think, if we were a week further on to actually pull the wild card just to like make the most of all these um, yeah, movements one, in prices. One, one, one I'm happy to do. It. I mean, now I'm just, I'm just not because of the international break that could like literally. It's, it's actually not the IB that's doing it for me. It's just okay. the fact that it's just Ings has got one more good fixture. Actually, I think that's a huge part of this. That there's just one more good uh, week yeah, left yeah. in Ings. There's one more week in Tony. But I think from there, there's a real chance to shift the template and probably, to be honest, make the space to get Lukaku in. Uh, and that's probably, you know, it'll probably mean Ings goes up, Tony goes down to a 4.5. I have a little bit spare in the bank and I can actually do it straight away. And uh, that's actually probably what's going to be the temptation to probably force me into a wild card if I, you know, I don't want to, if I can avoid it. But I am entertaining the possibility. Cool. Now, I think that brings us to the end of those, Andy. 
Yes, 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 it does. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, we were Who Got the Assist. We would really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review if you liked what you heard. You can watch this on YouTube if you want to see us discussing rather than just hear us. And Tom's got the sexy slideshow there to keep your uh, visually engaged as well. Correspondence, we're running a little bit low on correspondence, actually. So to keep the ammo in the arsenal of the finest slot in FPL podcasting, you've got to send an email to whogottheassist at gmail.com. We would greatly appreciate if you could send something in. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with a uh, friend of the pod and a new entrant into the FPL sort of um, content creator arena, uh, James Carroll at FPL underscore JQ. It should be a really good time with him. In the meantime, I hope this is you. Good luck in game week three. Goodbye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.